This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The news uh, that uh, I guess a lot of people were waiting to hear from uh, Doug Ford, of course, the leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party, who uh, in an email says that he does support Hamilton's LRT project. There was some concern, some consideration that since he was talking about cutting the fat and all that sort of stuff, the, the cliches that he's been throwing around, that maybe projects like LRT would be off the table. Uh, it looks like it's a go. As a matter of fact, with uh, that email from Mr. Ford, there is a consensus among all the party leaders now. Mike Schreiner, the Green Party leader who was on our program on Friday, uh, reiterated his support for LRT. So, so does that just send this project uh, down the easy slope now to completion? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you wish. John Best has been following this file. He, of course, is the publisher of the Bay Observer, and he uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show. How are you doing this morning, John? I'm well, Bill. Thanks. Uh, let's. Were you surprised by Mr. Ford's announcement? Um, a, a little bit. Uh, I wonder, you know, really how much, uh, you know, how much familiarity he has with the file. But uh, you know, you have to take him at his word. He's, he's presented with a question. Uh, you know, Hamilton's on the sheet for LRT. Are you in favor of it? it? You know, if he doesn't have a full understanding of some of the debate that's gone on in Hamilton, why wouldn't he uh, support it? So. A little bit of more of a timing issue than anything else, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, Bill, uh, whoever is premier will not go against the will of council. So if you know, so I, I think some members of council sort of are hoping that Queens Park will get them off the hook. Absolutely, uh, on this file. And uh, once again, the ball's back in their court. So what it really comes down to is, uh, after this wave of elections is over. Um, council of the day uh, now on a straight majority vote because the, you won't need the two-thirds majority anymore because we have a new council. Council will vote on this issue and whatever whatever the outcome of that vote is, I suspect the premier of the day will support it. Can't imagine them going against the will of council. I mean, I, I read the email. There's a copy of it of the, of the two or three lines that he wrote. It's in uh, the spec article today. I support building the Hamilton LRT because the people of this great city deserve a working transit system. This is an investment that will create jobs, countless new jobs, and stimulate economic development. Uh, it sounds like something that was written by a, like a, a party hack as opposed to Mr. Ford himself, uh, just the language of it. It's, you know, it's full of cliches and all the talking points, and that's fine, and, but it is a, a statement of policy, and I, I guess we can hang our hat on that. But, but your point's well taken. I, I know, and I'm sure you have talked to a number of councillors who are closetly support, not supportive of this project. I mean, they said, okay, you know, we'd be stupid to turn down the money, so I guess we'll allow that. And we, we remember that vote that happened a couple of months ago. But it raises the question, John, in, in, in a few months, these same councillors are going to be knocking on doors looking for re-election. What's their stand going to be then? Well, uh, there, it's hard to say because, uh, you know, this city is plagued with voter apathy, so... Uh, certainly some doors, they'll get some sharp questioning, but, you know, the way campaigning works in this city, a lot of it is really predicated on um, the apathy of voters and the fact that only 30-odd percent vote. But, you know, certainly an intelligent voter is entitled to ask that question. Uh, are you in favor or are you not? Is this, uh, you know, Ford, uh, going back to Ford, having this question posed to him, uh, he hasn't I'm sure, been presented with any alternative like BRT, and, and so he's really got nothing to compare. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he was up on the file. I, I don't think he was, but 
he has nothing to compare. You know, do you want LRT or do you want nothing? Well, we know the answer there. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, it's the same as Hamilton citizens in many ways uh, also had for so long have had nothing to compare it to because uh, in the early stages of this LRT debate, the, the people that were in favor of LRT orchestrated the situation so the BRT was kicked off the sheet so early uh, before anybody was paying attention that it's it's never been given a, a even a, 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 a cursory look. So I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't really think this signals any kind of a change. If if Wynne had uh, been uh, were to be successful in the election, she's made it clear that she'll do what council wants. Now, a lot of councillors didn't believe that because Ted McMeekin, for one, was going around saying, oh, no, you're going to go to the back of the list, the money's going to go back. That's not what she said. However, um, that view prevailed, and council, you know, three or four of them especially, uh, changed uh, what appeared to have been their position on the issue. I I can't imagine Rob uh, Doug Ford um, becoming premier and and going against the wishes of council. So if they tell him we want it, uh, I think he'll go along with it. And if they say we'd like to look at another option like a BRT, I think he'll support that. There isn't a whole lot of history here. I mean, you know, when you look at the politics of this, Doug Ford's only been on city council in Toronto for one term. And that's that's his political experience, uh, you know. Slash. That's it. Uh, but even in that time, now it, it could be argued that all he really did was just mimic what his brother was doing and his policies, and he supported everything his brother tried to do. Uh, but they very much so seemed opposed to a number of the LIT projects around the Toronto area. Uh, the Scarborough system, I, I can remember uh, Mayor Ford and, of course, his brother being supportive of that, were more in favor of a subway system as opposed to LRT. So this is not their favorite kind of transportation or their favorite mode of transportation. So I'm just wondering how solid the support is. Hard to say. I mean, they moved in on that LRT project and changed the game uh, at a point when contracts were just about ready to be let, yeah. which is further, way further down the road than we are now. So uh, it's hard to say. Uh, I I think it's uh, you know it's a good story uh, on a on a Wednesday morning and uh, it'll be around for a while. But uh, I think at the end of the day, if you look at the you know Ford is undoubtedly being bombarded with local policy issues from all over the province, and uh, I think to go to the bank on the strength of uh, this uh, emailed answer to a question. Uh, out of the blue, uh, two weeks after he was made party leader, I think is, you know, I mean, wish for whatever you want, but uh, I think reality is that there could be a more nuanced position down the road, depending, again, on uh, what is expressed at Hamilton City Council. And uh, these folks are going to have to face up to this issue sooner or later. I'm just wondering if some of them uh, that had you know, very passive support of this. And I'm thinking of, for instance, the three mountain councillors uh, that, that support it and said, yeah, okay, we'll be that way but, you know, for the sake of, of getting the money. But once they start knocking on doors looking for re-election and they're going to hear an earful, uh, because we're told the surveys that have been done here indicate that there are a lot of people, and some suggest a majority of people, that don't like the idea of this project. So uh, you're going to have to be steadfast in this, and I'm not so sure that any of them can do that. And they may just simply reverse and say, yeah, if you reelect me, I'll vote against it this time. I don't know, but I could see that happening. Well, the other wild card that uh, you know we don't hear much about anymore is uh, when this uh, uh, 
operation and finance agreement is presented to council uh when in other words when the bill is presented and and I'd like to know uh exactly when that's going to happen because that is uh, you know for these councillors that keep talking about off ramps uh, there is still that operational agreement that has to be approved by council and you know here here's the situation the way it exists right now we we have a 60 it costs us 60 million dollars basically to run our bus system and out of that we get about half back a little less than half back from the fare box so our net cost of transit in hamilton is 30 million if we come back with a number that looks like 40 or 50 million all in including bus and lrt uh, I think some councillors are going to have some concern about that, and uh, and the, some of these ones that have voted, tried to vote both ways on the issue, may find themselves finally cornered on the issue. Let's talk about one councillor in particular, that being Donna Skelly, who's actually the councillor for Ward Seven up on the Central Mountain, but yeah. she is also the PC candidate uh, out in the the Flamborough area in the newly created uh, riding. Uh, in this provincial election. Don has been on this program many times and stated her opposition to the LRT project and saying it should be BRT instead. Where does this leave her now that her her leader, Doug Ford, has said that he's in favor of this? Well, uh, this morning it probably leaves her a bit embarrassed, uh, but uh, knowing Donna Skelly, uh, she will uh, ensure that the leader is briefed more fully on this issue before uh, the dust is settled, and uh, I think let's let a bit of time unfold and see how uh, see how things look. You know, we have these two elections. Uh, you're, you know, the June election. We'll we'll see whether we get a new government or not. Uh, we may, we may not, uh, depending on uh, the spending uh, jag that the premier's on right now. And it's gonna it's gonna have some influence on on voter intentions, but whether it's enough to to overcome the polls that look really pretty grim, I I doubt, but we'll see. And then we got the municipal election, and it won't really kick in in any significant way until after. I mean, they, they'd be crazy. Anybody that's thinking of running municipally would be crazy to do much of anything until the provincial election is over. Uh, so uh, I think we are going to have a robust debate about LRT. Uh, regardless of what the party leaders say, and uh, w- because there's polling, as you say, that that certainly suggests there's probably a plurality against it. So with the community split that badly, and, and of course the key ridings uh, or the key uh, constituencies in, in a municipal election, as you know, are the mountain, uh, the, th- the three mountain constituencies, now to be four, um, you know, and, and that's probably where the LRT is... Uh, the least popular. so And that's where it's going to live or die. Yeah, and so there's a lot of political dynamics here that haven't really been unfolded yet. Uh, we'll, we'll, I think it's kind of like a two-round fight. We'll, you know, first the provincial, see what happens there with the issue, and then uh, we'll get into a rip-roaring uh, uh, municipal election, and I think the issue is going to get thoroughly aired during that campaign. Back to Skelly for just a second for Donna Skelly's situation. Uh, the first inclination may be, I guess I have to change my policy here because that's what my leader is saying, but the riding in which she's running, John, I would think is is opposed to this project. And you've got to look at that element too. And, and okay, she's going to be betwixt and between here. I mean, you want to get elected, you have to appeal to the majority of people in that riding who are probably opposed to the project. So 
Uh, does does she does she just turn her back on what Ford said and simply said this is more important to me at this stage? Well, I, I guess uh, another way of putting it, Bill, is uh, f- from the standpoint of Ford. Uh, do you want this seat? Um, because you don't know that you're, you know, the polls are suggesting a big majority, but things can change so quickly. This this may be a very critical seat at the end of the day. And uh, do you want the seat or don't you? Because if uh, if it's going to be on the issue of uh, imposing LRT, I can tell you that that's going to weaken uh, the ability of the conservatives to capture that seat, and uh, so you know, Skelly can you know look at her own political future, but you know she's a member of council; she doesn't have to give that up. So she's got a job, but the the real the way I would frame it is: uh, Do the Tories want that seat? And if they do, then maybe they need to rethink. Uh, how strident they want to be on the LRT issue. I don't think they are strident at this point, re- regardless of the statement. I, I, I don't think that's a fiat that's been laid down that everybody's got to get in line behind. Well, here's the rationale, and here's the reality, John. I don't care who gets elected in any election. The first thing that always comes out of their mouths is, oh, my God, we didn't know the books were this bad. Mm-hmm. They all say it, and, and I'm, I'm expecting to hear it again. And and that you don't know what the consequences of that are going to be. Well, we're we we think we're going to be running between eight and nine billion dollar deficit on a. Uh, I think we spend roughly one hundred and thirty five million uh, provincially these days. So eight or nine million. You're talking about running a deficit uh, of you know roughly five percent of of the total uh, take uh, provincially. That that's a huge deficit and. No, you know, and and the programs that are being uh, suggested are are programs that would continue on and on and on. They're not one-time programs, so it's hard to see how you aren't talking about an eight or nine million dollar deficit every year forever. And and I guess the flip side is they're they're counting on growth in the in the economy and growth in in taxation that'll eat into that a bit, but that that's a pretty big deficit for the size of our uh, annual spend. And keep in mind that those numbers that you've just talked about here are the Liberals' numbers, and even the uh, Auditor General suggests that there's some discrepancy in those, and she seems to indicate that uh, the Finance Minister has the same kind of math skills I had in high school, so uh, we, we don't know yeah. what those numbers are going to be at this stage. Uh, we don't. It's, it's going to get interesting, and uh, we'll just about out of time now, but I want to talk to you very soon about what we're hearing municipally, too, that there is a an anti-LRT mayoral candidate who is uh, waiting, uh, or at least one, maybe more than that, but uh, it's going to get awfully tight around here in the next couple of months. John, thanks as always. Great talking with you again today. My pleasure, Bill. John Best, publisher of the Bay Observer. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Yesterday on the program, we talked about uh, the uh, situation with Hamilton Specialty Bar, the uh, rather bleak situation, frankly. Uh, we know about their financial troubles, and uh, we know that they had until this past Monday to find a buyer uh, and did not. Uh, and I guess a lot of questions uh, yet to be answered. Well, last evening, uh, there was an information meeting held with members of the United Steelworkers at the Steelworkers Hall. Joining us to talk about that is Mickey Mercanti, the president of Local 4752 of the United Steelworkers. Mickey, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you back on the show today. Thanks, Bill. What's, uh, maybe start off, what's the status as of now? What's going on? Um, the status as of now, um, like you said, yes, uh, in Monday in court, we didn't have a going concern bid. So on Tuesday, um, a scrap company called AIM has taken over. Uh, they were the winning 
liquidation bid, if you will. So yeah. they're actually uh, in charge of the plant right now. We are still in talks with um, KAL Advisory Group. Um, a fellow's name is Keshav Lal, and he is. We are still in serious talks with him. He's still he's still there trying to buy this place as a going concern. And and that's an important element to this. No, they didn't walk away. They didn't say forget about this. Uh, talk to us a little bit about who these people are. My, my information is it's very much like Bedrock Industries that eventually bought Stelco. It's an investment company, not a steel company. Um, true in a, in a way, uh, but this Keshav Wall, he has uh, he's not he's not that old. He's in his mid thirties, maybe, but he has extensive experience in steel. He was with SR um, for the past number of years, and yes, he put together a team of. Uh, other people to get the money involved. The financing, as far as I know, the financing has come through for them now. It's just a matter of the uh, customer base. So there's there's still t- discussion. I mean, because you know, when when the deadline comes and goes, you're obviously concerned that they're just going to put a padlock on this. They're going to start tearing it apart and selling things off, and and you guys are, are out on the street. But you, how would you how would you classify your attitude towards this right now, Mickey? Are you hopeful? Are you optimistic? What's, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm optimistic that we can get a deal done. Um, AIM is not going to dismantle the place in, in you know, the next few weeks. It's going to, take, going to take a month anyway, probably. So we have some time. And um, I, have, I have belief in Keshev and KAL that they're going to come through for us. But the judge has already ruled that he didn't like the offer as it stood. Uh, what, what has to happen to sweeten the pot so that uh, all of a sudden it's going to be a viable offer? Um, Keshav has to come in with a, with an absolute, you know, solid bid, and that depends, and this whole thing actually depends on a couple of the, the major customers coming back to the plate for him, so we should know that shortly, if this is going to happen or not, but that's, that's pretty much all he has to get, get uh, done now, is the uh, customers. Have you heard from them? I mean, what's the status? I know, obviously, because of the financial concerns uh, with Specialty Bar, uh, a lot of these guys have probably gone someplace else to get their product now. Are you hopeful that they'll come back to the fold? Yes, and this this happened to us, I don't know if you remember, but this happened to us back in 2007. Yeah, yeah. Right, and we were idle for, like, for seven months. And the customers came back. We make a really good bar, Um I had a kind of an issue with a couple of things that Marvin said yesterday. Um, yes, we're a niche market, but having the customers was never a question, never a problem for us. We were making money, and we had customer order books were filled. There were there was some other stuff going on that uh, put us into receivership, which is often the case. Uh, you know, the people are there, but it's it's a business uh, situation, it's business practices. Uh, how much of a sit-down and how much of a discussion have you had with these proposed new owners, uh, this group uh, that you've just talked about, Mickey, uh, to talk about their business plan and what they see in the future for the for, for the plant? Um, we've, we've been meeting. They came into the picture about maybe three weeks ago, and we've had several meetings with them, and we're communicating all the time, you know, via emails and texts. Um, their vision is much like what we are doing now, uh, but they have. They would like to branch out, maybe make a different kind of bar as well, as well, well as the round bars that we make. So, like, they have a good business plan. Uh, they don't. They were not planning on making money like the first year, or probably even the second year. But you know, hopefully, their plan by the third year they would be making money. 
have you uh, done due diligence on these guys? I guess the question I'm asking here, Mickey, I'll cut right to the quick. Yeah. Do they have deep pockets? Um, between between all of them, yes, they have the deep, they have deep enough pockets to carry us. So you feel comfortable that if they get the okay, that the, the, these guys are not going to say, sorry, we don't have enough cash to do this. Yeah. I mean, putting a, a new line out there and putting a new bar out there is going to cost money, obviously. Uh, no, we're, we're already set up for oh, you're okay? other bars, right? So we already have that equipment in the plant. So that's that's nothing. It's just, yeah, I, I have complete confidence that they have the uh, the money. All right, now we're going through the same process. Well, variation on the same theme, I should say, with what happened with U.S. Steel slash Stelco. Uh, some time ago, and and the, the great concern there was not just about keeping the plant open and getting guys back to work, but it was also about uh, the retirees. Uh, what's the status if these guys take over? Are they going to honor this? What what happens to those folks? Um, we don't know. We don't know yet because we haven't. We have to wait to see what kind of deal they can make to get the plant, and then once they do, then we have to negotiate with them with the contract. So they haven't they haven't really said anything specific on the contract on what they would like or what they hope to get. So I don't I can't really tell you that. Have you had any discussion with the uh, the proposed owners about that? I mean it, it's it's something that's got to be on your radar. Right. Uh what they when they when they came in when they proposed through uh, the courts and EY, they were looking they said uh they were looking for serious concessions, but that's changed. You know, they they know they're not, you know, we're not going to give up like 50% of our contract or our wages or anything like that. We're not going to work for minimum wage. Uh, they, I trust them. They seem to be fair people. I'm sure they, uh, they won't try to run us into the ground. And, you know, first thing out of our mouths, and Tony DiPaolo was the same, is uh, protect our pensioners. Because yeah, right, right now they're sitting there with no, they have no benefits at all, right, the pensioners. Well, and, and it, you remember the pushback that we all had, I think from the community, uh, not just from the United Steelworkers, Mickey, back when uh, the, the CCAA stuff was going on with uh, U.S. Steel, and, uh, and the judge basically ruled, yeah, you guys don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to worry about the pensioners. I mean, that, that was a jaw-dropping moment. I don't think you want to see a repeat of that. Oh, absolutely not. You know, and if you know, we can get creative with the contract and uh, protecting the pensioners, if we can do that, we certainly most we most certainly will. We're not uh, we're not going to leave them out to dry. No, you're not driving the bus at this stage. It's the investors that have to to show, I guess, that they've got what needs to be done here. Yes. What's the time frame like? Give me a ballpark here. Do you think we're going to get some good news within the next week or so? Uh, I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping to get some good news before uh, Friday. Um, they're they're still in talking with the customers the the customers that they need they're still talking to them um i'm hoping that we hear word before good friday and with if that's the case uh, how soon can you begin operations how soon does this thing go i guess to use the phrase go back to normal uh well his original his original plan if uh he had had the bid by by monday if he had if he had everything in place by monday he was proposing to bring everybody back on april 1st like next week and then start up April fifteenth. We wouldn't we wouldn't be able to start up the way we have been, but uh, you know at least a couple of days a week, three days a week maybe. What's the mood of the workers? I mean, you, you guys met last night, and I, obviously you went through all this news with them, Mickey. I, 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 there's got to be an awful lot of frustration. I mean, it's ne- there's never a good time to, ha- to have to go through this, but uh, this is this is pretty rough right now. I mean, the industry itself had some pretty rough times, and. Uh, it seems as if everybody seems to be getting back on their feet, but uh, boy, you, you've been dragged into this uh, more than once in the last number of years. Right. Uh, you know, the, 
this time it's more uh, anger and frustration at the company itself. Um, it's not like you know, over the past few months that we've been slowly but surely not working. We were working, everybody was mandated 48 hours a week right up until Christmas. And then New Year's Eve, I get a call saying that we're not going to be working the next week because we have no money. So, were you surprised by that? Oh, absolutely. Like we we've we heard maybe back in the summer that uh, things weren't going so well, and then we were reassured, we were reassured by Gus Hiller, who was the CEO at the time. We're you know oh everything's good, everything's great. So we never heard another thing. Then things were back to full blast, and then we get this call on New Year's Eve. Oh, sorry, we uh, we don't have enough money to operate. Um, they had just spent, in the first week of December, they had spent half a million dollars to fix uh, the, the roof on the label refiner. So why would they do that if they were planning on closing? You know, it's, it was right out of the blue. But it looks as if, and, and we all have fingers crossed here, it looks as if you guys may be in the same situation that Stelco was with Bedrock, that not only do they want to come in and keep this company open, but it looks like, they, well, in Bedrock's situation, they want to invest uh, into the uh, into the business once again. Do you get the sense that that's going to happen with uh, Steel Bar? I do. Special environment. I absolutely, I absolutely do. I I have high hopes. So, you know, we we conveyed that message to everybody last night. Uh, you know, we also we had the legal team there to tell them uh, what's what's going on with that. We had uh, uh, benefit specialists there. You know, so we we prepared everybody. To, you know, and I just said best case scenario is we're idle for maybe a month. And then we start back up again. I don't want to start negotiating on the radio, but uh, at some point there's going to have to be a discussion about uh, the pensioners and where that money's going to come from. Right. Uh, if they're adamant about that, is that a deal breaker as far as you're concerned? Uh, yeah, I don't want to start negotiating on the phone. <laughs> you know, but, uh, it's, it's, there's all kinds of ways to look at that. And, you know, like I said, we can get creative uh, with them. So we'll leave it at that for now. Well, I'm just going to remind you if uh, there was a precedent set because the provincial government stepped into the uh, the Stelco situation and uh, ponied up a few bucks, and uh, that that may be a question you might want to ask your uh, MPPs and see if there's any chance of something like that happening. Yeah, we've been contacting everybody. Um, When you said yesterday about uh, Mr. Trudeau promising to help, um, yeah, that's kind of an empty promise if, uh, if you ask me, but... He says that all the time. Let's talk. We'll talk. But, you know, time for talk is over now. We have to act. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of points here that uh, your situation and the U.S. Steel slash Stelco situation have underscored. And and that, of course, is the the long-term viability of looking after retirees and pensioners. And the CCAA legislation simply doesn't do that. And, and that was reinforced, I guess, by the judge in the Stelco case, because he basically said, no, you guys are at the bottom of the list, or close to the bottom of the list anyway. Right. Uh, and, and there's got to be something done about that. And, and I know they keep coming back and say, well, you can't really do that with that legislation. Then introduce a new bill, for heaven's sakes. Why not? I mean, there's got to be some protection for pensions. And it's, not, it's you guys, Mickey. You're the latest one. But, you know, there was Sears just earlier this year, about the, and, and, of course, the Stelco situation. It's it's almost becoming an epidemic right now, and with, something has to be done to address that. Absolutely. Well, Scott, Scott DeBall has been uh, pushing hard to get the uh, bill, get a bill put into, into law on that. One thing we have going for us on this, it's, not, it's just a small thing, but um, they don't – we went into a defined contribution plan uh, when we started back up 
10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the pensioners now, like, they're, they're not on the hook for any pensioners except for their benefits, right? And so they don't have to contribute to a pension plan at all for the, for the pensioners. So, it, you know, it just, just for their benefits. So, like I said, we we could probably work around that. We well, yeah, because I and that's always a major hurdle uh, to, to move into that defined plan because that's one of the things that new owners of a lot of these entities uh, tend to insist upon these days. But you guys have already cleared that, right? Yeah, we cleared it, and you know, we actually, we're actually we're glad we did because it uh, you know we really got uh, screwed around back in two thousand and four uh, when the first time this happened, and. You know, the pensioners lost probably like 36, 37% of their pensions. So on a go-forward basis after that, we just, yeah, we, we wanted to go to defined contribution. It was just, you know, at least at least what's there in the bank is ours. Well, we're getting a different story. I mean, because, you know, when we talked 24 hours ago, when Marvin Ryder was on the program, uh, obviously he hasn't got insight into the negotiations that are ongoing. But, uh, you know, when the deadline comes and goes and then all of a sudden, you know, the, this receivership takes over, you think, oh, my God, the game is over. But uh, but uh, you're, you're painting a picture right now that uh, that sounds pretty hopeful. Yes, and I am hopeful. It's, yeah, it's not over. Uh, we're not dead. We're not in the morgue. We're not 90% dead like Marvin said. I don't believe that. I, I believe we're going we're gonna to make it. Here's hoping, Mickey, and here's hoping that we get some news on that in the next couple of days, as uh, as you seem to indicate. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time with us. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Bill. Okay, Mickey Mercanti, of course, uh, local president, uh, 4752 United Steelworkers. And, uh, well, it looks as if things may work out after all. A long way to go, of course. We know that. And I know that having gone through the U.S. Steel Stelco situation a couple of times over the last number of years, there were times then when it looked like there was a ray of hope, and then all of a sudden that door got slammed. But it sounds as if uh, this uh, this organization that's looking at Specialty Bar now uh, has the capital. Mickey seems to think so anyway. And uh, there'll be some negotiations, of course, about contracts and things of that nature. That's always part of the process. But uh, it may well have a happy ending, and that would be great for them and certainly great for the economy here in Hamilton. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We had LRT in the first hour. Let's talk about something less contentious, not uh, bike lanes in the downtown area. Uh, And I know that some of you simply can't get your head around this, but especially with the installation on some of the more contentious streets, uh, Charlton and Herkimer come to mind. Uh, There's still people grumbling about Cannon Street and, of course, Bay Street. Uh, and uh, just thinking, why? I never see anybody on these things. Why are we investing in that? Well, one guy who's a believer in this is uh, Tom Flood, who uh, decided to ask the mayor to join him on a bike ride to talk about bike safety and about the need for bike lanes. And, uh, well, Tom joins us here. I I, I was going to tell the story, but this is better coming from you. Thanks for coming in today, by the way. No problem. Thanks a lot for having me, Bill. Good to have you with us here. What inspired you to get a hold of the mayor and to do something like this? Um, I think just um, some some negative commentary over the last few years and then uh, a bit of pushback every time there's some different safe streets measures or cycling infrastructure that goes in. It was a little tiring hearing those same complaints that didn't seem too valid to me. So we kind of thought if only we could get council to sit on a bicycle and ride beside a child to really gain that perspective and see what it's like and the dangers that they face, then maybe they would understand why people are pushing for safer streets 
and protected bike lanes. You know, we really wanted to have potentially gained some empathy for some of the councillors that may not be too supportive of some of the safer streets measures to see it, again, through the eyes of a child and just see how vulnerable some of our citizens are on the road. Now, you're a downtown resident. Yes. So you, uh, and you're, you're, you don't just talk the talk. You, you, I was going to say, you don't walk the walk either. You cycle the cycle. Correct. Yeah. So we, we do all. I mean, again, yeah. I, I walk and bike and drive. I do all forms of transportation. Um, and uh, it's, it's scary out there. And it's scary out there for, like I said, our more vulnerable road users. It's, it's really hard to understand until, I've said this a, a couple of times, but it's hard to understand until you've been beside a child, four, six-year-old, and you've got you know a transport truck right beside you. And the only thing separating you is a little bit of paint. I got it, and I've told the story, but I'll mention it again since we're back onto bike lanes. I mean, even when I was a kid, I didn't own a bike, but I mean, I was borrowing others, and I was nervous. I always was because the, there were no bike lanes. There wasn't even that that strip of paint back in those days, and you were just told you had to be over by the side of the road, right by the edge of the sidewalk, but you didn't know what was coming up behind you and whether or not they were going to respect you, and it was it was pretty frightening. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's changed a whole lot. I, I, it, maybe for the worse is the is the issue. I mean, a lot of you hear that um, a lot. You know, when I was young, we didn't have bike lanes, we didn't have helmets, we didn't have all this. Well, things have changed. The roads are busier. People drive very aggressively. People are more rushed. They're in a hurry. They're not considering other people on the roads. Um, so it's important to have that separation. The speed is something that really, really needs to be fixed in this city. And if that culture doesn't shift fast enough, well, let's protect the people that are, are on bicycles. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's been done so far. And, and I know the contentious Cannon Street uh, project uh, is still getting uh, some, some negative reaction from an awful lot of people. Uh, the common thing that I hear, the common complaint that I hear, I guess, uh, with just about anybody who's got some negative feelings about the bike lanes is, uh, I never see anybody on them. Why are we investing in that? How do you respond to that? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> one, I don't necessarily agree with that because people are using them. So if someone's driving and they don't see someone for a minute or two, yeah, maybe there isn't someone on it at that exact moment. Um, but the, the issue here is that we need, the more infrastructure we build, the more people will actually cycle. So right now, if people aren't cycling to someone's, whatever their measuring stick is at this point, that means we should probably build more infrastructure and safer infrastructure for people. Because uh, I, I, now I don't drive Cannon Street a whole lot, but I mean, you know, we go to the football games and usually what, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night and driving home. A lot of cyclists on that Cannon Street bike path then. I don't know if it, what, what the situation is like the daytime, because obviously I'm here, but but. It's the old idea that, okay, maybe the place isn't packed with them, but if it's not there, where are those cyclists going to go? That's exactly, and you see the traffic that's on, on Cannon. Those are large transport trucks that are blasting um, eastbound, and it's, it's or sorry, westbound. It's dangerous. It's, it's, there, there needs to be separation there, and there's, these streets we have here have six, five, six lanes. There's room to share that, that road. The template that I always used when we started this debate in this city um, was was Vancouver. And, and again, I haven't ridden the lights, but I've seen what they did. And they created that separation. They used planters. They were pretty creative about it. It wasn't just putting up a concrete barrier. Uh, and it aesthetically looked pretty nice, but it, it gave the cyclists that separation between traffic and, and their bike paths. And I think that's what we're attempting to do here in Hamilton. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's something, again, as a driver, I much prefer having a cyclist in a bike lane separated from me as a driver. I just feel safer for myself and for that, that person on the bicycle. So talk to us a little bit about what happened yesterday. I want to get into some of the other projects and, and where we're going on this, but you finally got the mayor to do this. Uh, I was hoping that you'd have 15 other councillors behind him on bikes, but I guess that's never going to happen. But at least the mayor, I, I, you know, agreed to do this. So he was there with your son, Oliver. That's correct, yeah. Where did you guys start from? So we started in my neighborhood close to on Markland Street. 
Um, and, you know, we are hoping to get other counselors, but we'll get to that after. But yeah, so we started in, on Markland Street and headed east towards Bay and we're bicycling all over to school. So essentially simulating a normal cycle commute for a, a family that bicycles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, got on our bikes in about, you know, maybe 10, 15 seconds. We, a car was turning left onto Markland and wasn't looking and nearly hit both the mayor and a six-year-old, my six-year-old. Boy, talk about underscoring the, the need for something like this. Uh, not paying attention, uh, even though this is a dedicated bike lane. That's right. So it's Markland's a one-way street heading westbound, and yeah. the person who was at a stop sign looked one way, looked to the right, and didn't look the contraflow bike lane that was going eastbound and just turned in essentially into them. And, I mean, if you can miss four adults and and a child... You know, if it's just just that child alone, then they really don't stand much of a chance, even at a slow speed that the vehicle was traveling at. Now, remind us how those light. What what do the lanes look like? What do the bike lanes look like? Are they painted? Uh, on Markland Street, there's a it's a yellow strip. Okay, that's it. A paint, correct? Is there, there's no barrier? No barrier. Okay, well that should change uh, anytime soon. Uh, but obviously, how what was the mayor's reaction? Yeah, he was <laughs> he was a bit taken back, a little shocked, I would think. Yeah, he was he was definitely shocked, but it was. Not a good thing, but a great reminder of why we're doing this. And again, really to see it through a child's eyes. That car turns, even at a slower speed that it was going at, you know, consequences are pretty dire for, for someone that's But this underscores what I was saying, and it goes back all the way to this uh, what I said when I was a kid. Uh, I don't think most people that drive cars respect cyclists. Uh, I don't think they respect pedestrians either, for that matter. They always look like pedestrians are an encumbrance to them. Like, I'm trying to turn right here. Would you get out of the way? Right. Uh, and, and, you know, we all know that the law says pedestrians have the right of way. Uh, but, but, you know, do they actually think that? I mean, we're in such a hurry to do everything like that. You're right. A lot of the times they just don't look. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, to your point about the pedestrians, we cross at Queen and Herkimer a lot when we walk to school. And there's that pedestrian crossover you may have seen with the flashing lights. Yeah. You know, it's it's... It's, it's helpful, so we're happy it's there, but it's a real false sense of security. I mean, we can push that button, and you can wait about 15 seconds with those lights flashing. No one stops. You know, you're I see there people go right through it. All the time. And again, you know, it's not, not blaming drivers necessarily all the time. It's up to us to protect ourselves. But if you're there and that light's flashing and it's 15 seconds of cars, that's enough time for them to stop, especially when they know this is a school zone where kids are crossing. I mean, if we want to get to a point where we meet our city's mission of, you know, best place to raise a child and age successfully, we've got to let our kids be able to walk outside and bike outside without being, without the fear of being killed. But what about that public education element, which is a phrase that gets thrown around an awful lot, Tom, but uh, poor drivers to understand that, look, it, you have to share the road. And again, there's another phrase that we've heard an awful lot, uh, but, you know, it's, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to practice it. Yeah, and I mean, I think this really starts with, with city leadership, and which is why we're very excited that uh, the mayor decided to take part in this commuting with council idea. But we really, really encourage the other councillor to do so. Um, Cycle Hamilton, you know, we've all sent out information to the members and whatever wards you're in to contact your local councillor and, and push for, to do something like this because it's really important for councillors that may not be um, strong advocates of safe streets or cycling to get on a bike and do it and understand what their constituents go through on a daily basis. I think we could all agree that resident safety is a top priority. So if your residents are on bikes, understand what that's like, and then maybe you can see it and make some change. I, I'm going to get into the Aberdeen Charlton thing because I know that there's still an awful lot of people that are upset about this. I, I like the idea. I was a little surprised when I first drove on there and I thought, well, geez, that's that's different. But I've seen this in other cities. But uh, 
it takes a little getting used to. Change is always difficult for people, but what that parking lane does there is gives you that natural barrier uh, that so the cyclist can feel safe that there is there isn't going to be any traffic that's going to and and frankly this, the people in the cars should feel a lot better about that too because they know that the cyclists are over there. That that's exactly it. I feel exactly the same way as a driver. I prefer to have the cyclists in a separated lane, um, and as a pedestrian too. When you have that extra buffer of a bike lane, it's it's really nice. You got small children walking to a park. They feel as a parent, I feel a lot more comfortable with my kids on the sidewalk, separated by another bike lane and um, and a row of parked cars. How do you think we're doing here? And when you compare what's going on in other cities, I mean, we're, we seem to be doing it incrementally. I mean, sometimes it's baby steps, but but are, are we moving? Are we progressing to the point that you feel comfortable? Well, I mean, in my time being here, which is about four years now, I've seen fantastic change, and it's really hats off to all the people that have laid the groundwork down for this. Cycle Hamilton has, does an incredible job. They work tirelessly every single day making this city better for cyclists. Um, so hats off to all the people that have been doing the great work, And but it, you know, you can always do more. Um, where I am and where we took the mayor on for a ride, we're lucky. We have a lot of cycling infrastructure, even if it is a painted lane and a you know, a few stretches of uh, protected bike lanes, but a lot of areas don't have that at all. They don't have that luxury of even a- any infrastructure. So there's a lot of wards that need to be addressed, a lot of areas that we still need, really the mission of connecting and protecting. It should be, a you know. Well, I, I always use the example up in our neighborhood of Golf Links Road up in Ancaster. Uh, and God help anybody who tries to ride a bike along there because their bike lane, and I use the term advisedly, is just a paint of wh- a white strip on the side of right. the road. And then when you get to where the highway is, uh, right by Stone Church in there, you know, the, where that ESSO station is and you right. get the stoplight, uh, you're basically, the bike lane has to cut across the entrance ramp onto the link. Yeah. And it's just like a dotted line. That's right. Uh, you, they should put a sign there that said, do this at your own risk, because it's, it's kind of frightening, because at that point, the motorists are not looking for cyclists. They just think, i got to get onto the link. Uh, of, that's exactly. And that's why we really encourage leadership to take a stand and actually go out and do this with their constituents that are on these bicycles. Yeah, there's got to be a better way to do that. But there's still a mindset. And, and yeah. you know, when governments, municipal governments, Tom, get into budget time, as we are now, and uh, every other city, I guess, in Ontario is doing, uh, you wonder where these guys are on the priority list. And uh, I'll use the example of your former town, Toronto. I mean, they just had a huge debate there about bike lanes up Young Street. Uh, and decided to to punt it forward. They're not going to do anything about it right now because it's just too contentious. Right. We're not there yet where we consider this has to be a priority. Yeah, and it, that's a that's a that's a sad thing to hear. I I, I think that was this morning that they announced that. Is that right? That it well, the, yeah, there was yesterday's meeting. Or yesterday, yeah. Um, yeah I, it, it's it's sad because again, it's that culture. You just people don't understand how we need to start prioritizing other modes of transportation and how they need to be higher on that list and, and budget priorities. Because we've talked about the, the Claremont access, we've talked about situations here that are almost ready-made to do something like that. And and I was you know, I was around when the Claremont access was built. It was way back when, but that was when the days when everybody went down to the north end to go to work. And most of them lived up on the mountain. So it was get down there at 7 o'clock in the morning, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, get back up. So you needed all those traffic lanes. We don't now. And why not convert them into bike lanes? I don't understand the the, the the reticence in this. Yeah, we are, you know, quite lucky in Hamilton with the size of some of our roads. I mean, if, if you look at Main Street, that's five lanes of vehicular traffic. You exit the 403 into more lanes. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. If you can't share a little bit of that road with a few cyclists that'll take some traffic off the street, then we've got a real problem. I, I, I really am frustrated and confused of why we can't move forward on some of these Now, things. you said you wanted more councillors to be involved. You had the mayor yesterday. 
who else have you talked to? What kind of response are you getting? So we put the call out to Cycle Hamilton members, and we've encouraged them to, and we're doing it right now while we're talking to you, Bill, um, to contact their local councillor and, and request one of these rides. We'll give it some time to see who responds. We're really hoping we get good response, but, you know, who knows? Um, and if someone, if a councillor can't make the time for it or doesn't want to do this ride, we will potentially go out and do the ride ourselves in their ward and, you know, document it like we did um, yesterday with some video footage and present it to the councillors so they can understand from that kind of point of view shot of a child what it's like on Stone Church Road. Well, yeah, and, and if, if you're going to make decisions on this and funding decisions on this, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to spend a little bit of time doing this, even if you're a lousy cyclist, at least go up there and, and watch and look at it instead of simply doing it in the abstract by sitting in your office at City Hall and just saying, no, I don't think we can afford to do that. That's exactly it. I mean, we're not demanding them to, to take a two-year pledge to stand on a bi- or ride on a bicycle every single day to and from. We're asking just once, get out here, try it out, experience it so you understand what your constituents are going through. It's important. It's, a, it's, a, it's, public, it's safety. It's, it's, a, it's a serious issue. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's uh, it's great to see. Uh, watch, look both ways, though. Uh, obviously, based <laughs> on right. what happened with you guys yesterday, uh, I think the mayor's probably still shaken up about this. And uh, how's Oliver doing? He's good. He, he was he, okay. He was all right? Yeah. Wits about him. I mean, I... Kids are resilient. That's right. So they're good to go. Tom, stay in touch. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Bill. Tom Flood, who organized the, uh, the mayor's uh, bike ride yesterday. And... Uh, continues to be a strong advocate for the cycling uh, infrastructure that we so desperately need here in this city. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.